This is a Suno India production and you are listening to Indian Economy Explained. The Article 41 of the Indian Constitution, which is a directive principle, asks the state to secure the right to work for all its citizens. After independence, the government launched many employment schemes, often in drought-affected areas. In September 2001, the central government passed the Mahatma Gandhi National Rural Employment Guarantee Act, Manrega, which mandated all local panchayats to provide for 100 days of work and minimum wage in the rural areas. The unemployment rate, however, continues to be high. According to the National Sample Survey Organization report 2019, the unemployment rate in India stood at 6.1%, the highest in 45 years. According to the data collected just before COVID-19 pandemic began in 2020, India had about 35 million unemployed people and about 10 million job seekers are added to this pool every year. In this scenario it is important to understand how the government schemes are faring in securing people's right to work. Hi, I'm Kunika Balhotra, research and communications officer for Suno India and your host for this episode of Indian Economy Explained. To understand more about the government employment schemes, the Mahatma Gandhi National Rural Employment Guarantee Act, its success and the challenges involved in effective implementation, And for a closer look at the need for an urban employment guarantee I spoke with Rakshita Swami who leads the Social Accountability Forum for Action and Research She works towards advocating and institutionalizing transparency accountability and citizen participation in governance through her collaboration with central and state governments and civil society organizations She is associated with the Right to Information and Right to Work campaigns Could you start by telling us about the Mahatma Gandhi National Rural Employment Guarantee Act which gives every person in the rural areas the right to work for a mandated 100 days if you could give us a brief history of this act and how it was conceived its core objectives as you know the national rural employment guarantee act narega which has subsequently been renamed mahatma gandhi nrg uh, was passed in 2005 and by 2006 or 7 it was universalized across all 600 districts then 600 districts of the country so there were two precedents one should be aware of before the nrg uh, one is that there was something called the maharashtra employment guarantee act which maharashtra had been implementing since the 70s there was an employment guarantee scheme that the government of maharashtra had implemented as a famine relief work primarily and there was a dedicated tax as well that was charged to finance uh, the implementation of that act but what really brought this even the maharashtra employment guarantee scheme in back into focus was that there was a very long and sustained public campaign where lots of civil society organizations unions ngos activists came together to demand for an employment guarantee law and at that time the demand was not limited just to a rural employment guarantee it was the right to work whether a worker is in an urban area or is in a rural area 
and many organizations at their state level, at a national level, campaigns like the People's Action for Employment Guarantee did a whole yatra across the country to mobilize support from groups. Many uh, grassroots organizations at their states uh, were organizing uh, dharnas, protests, rallies, demanding for an employment guarantee legislation. And in 2004, when the UPA one came into existence, uh, with the Congress winning and a coalition being stitched up with Congress and the left and other parties. They had a national common minimum program, which stated as these are the objectives of this alliance. These are the socio-political economic objectives that this alliance is going to meet. And the national common minimum program had included two legislations, the RTI and the Rural Employment Guarantee Act as the things that they would pass. And subsequently after that, there was the National Advisory Council, which was a platform in which legal provisions of the bill were discussed and then the whole parliamentary process went through and the law came into being. Many progressive provisions from the Maharashtra Employment Guarantee Act were taken. There were many more progressive provisions that were added, such as social audit, transparency, banning of machines and contractors, payment of minimum wage, equal wage for men and women, uh, worksite facilities, and all of that. So it has learned from a period of history. It was not that one government suddenly decided we will do this and it happened. Uh, there was a long background to it. Could you also tell me the implementation challenges? Do workers get 100 days labor or why are the wages lower than the minimum wages? Sometimes do the laborers get full wages or how do women use the scheme more? Or if you could talk about how the number of employment under the scheme has gone up since the lockdown. Right. So there are many challenges uh, we are seeing in the implementation of Narega. And in spite of the challenges, we are looking at such a wide number, a large number of workers who are still using NREGA in order for basic sustenance. But it's also important to remember that in spite of these challenges, there are crores of workers who are basically surviving today because they are able to get work under NREGA. So all of these challenges will have to be met, but while remembering the relevance of such a program. Challenges are plenty and it starts with one that it's a demand run program. So this, the fact that all the implementation begins with the worker demanding work and being acknowledged by a dated receipt and being guaranteed to get the work within 15 days. That is actually the biggest bottleneck we are facing right now in the implementation where NREGA truly and honestly is not being run as a demand-based legislation across the country where there are worker collectives where workers are mobilized they can assert they can demand for work they can collectively assert that they be given a receipt because until you have a receipt you cannot prove that you have not got work within 15 days and if you can't prove that you don't get paid the unemployment allowance so that is the link that does not work uh, seamlessly everywhere. Many places, NREJ is being run like a supply side program. States get a budget. Every state government has a budget and they say that these many person days will be generated. And that is the message that goes all the way down to a panchayat. And people come to work on NREJ when 
the contractor opens work or when a sarpanch opens work so that full conception of you can start the work whenever you desire it to be is still a difficult challenge and of course it will be because of the extent of power inequity in our country the kind of feudal relations it's not going to be an easy step but that's the biggest challenge we're seeing in nrg there are many things that used to be challenges but are getting better now for instance once a worker is able to get work a basic work worksite facility there are huge numbers of women who come to work under nrg it's actually largely a women's work program wage payments still have a checkered past it's only in some places where wage payments actually get credited into the bank account of beneficiaries within 15 days of them completing it but the average true average is somewhere between 20 to 40 days uh, but it's also a public program in which the state has invested a lot of human resource money technical architectures so the effort to constantly improve on the challenges has been consistent Uh, and it's a program that learns very quickly it's a dynamic program guidelines keep getting uh, drawn out but the, there are issues when suddenly bank payments get transferred from post to bank or when aadhar seeding happens when unilateral policy decisions get taken the scale of the program is so huge that to have it done in all the gram panchayats uh, of the country there are going to be many misses and a few hits so that's the challenge the other thing you mentioned about minimum wage uh, is an important issue in nreg workers are paid as per it's it's called a piece rate payment swami explained that narega workers get piece rate wages as opposed to time rate wages while time rate payment is based on the time of work one puts in days wage for 8 hours of work for example piece rate payment is based on how much of the work assigned to the laborer is done the worker can finish his work in an hour she is still entitled to the day's minimum wage if you just come and work in an nrga work site it's not like you get paid the minimum wage just because you were there for 6 hours you know in mainstream perception and mainstream media particularly there is an impression that narega workers are lazy and wo bas baithe rehte hain aur unko paise mil jate hain and that is many people argue that that actually really corrupts labor and they are then not eager to work on other uh, assignments and they want free money uh, which is really completely ridiculous and um, complete garbage uh, uh, narega the law mandates that it's a piece rate system you have to reach a work site you have to complete the work that you're given for the day and only when you complete it and the whole technical machinery has verified that you have completed you get the full minimum wage working in a narega worksite is not simple so it's there where people there are challenges some people are not able to uh, finish the work some people are able to finish the work so payment is not universal it's not guaranteed minimum wage and last thing uh, before i just want to end this responding to this question is that today currently the government of india has delinked payment to minimum wage with payment of narega wage so the narega wages in every state are not always equal to the statutory minimum wage of the state now this is a legal question there have been petitions against it and there's a lot of confrontation going on also in 2015 the government led the mission of training over 40 crore people in india and launched a national skill development mission could you tell us how this has been implemented and if it has helped in creating job opportunities for the youth 
skilling and training is definitely an important initiative. It definitely caters to a kind of potential segment of beneficiaries for whom it's very important. They need opportunities to be skilled in core trades, competencies. They need some facilitation in being placed in entry-level jobs. But I do feel that there is, in fact, there, there is actually limited uh, public data out there on what has been the impact of this whole initiative. You're looking at the Narega database, you know the kind of data and information that is out there. At a, You can compare what's happening with Narega at national level, state level, district level, panchayat level. And all your information is there on the basis of which you can have an informed opinion. With skilling and training, unfortunately, we're just used to hearing big numbers. We have prime ministers, chief ministers who keep saying 25 lakh people trained, 45 lakh people trained, 1 crore people trained. But we don't know what that means. Are these people who got trained, did they find jobs? How many of them did a job but had to leave in one month because they could not get the support they needed? How good was the skilling? What are the wages at which people are now working in? We don't have that kind of information in the public domain. There's no public oversight on this whole architecture of skilling and training. If we have just reduced it to fancy numbers and it may we may feel happy hearing it, but we don't know what's the story beneath it. It may be good, but it may also not be good. The Kudumbashiri mission by the Kerala government launched employment program for states women. Could you tell me more about the scheme and its implementation? Uh, right. Again, Kudumbashi is something that it's it's the SG Federation in Kerala, which has shown a lot of potential for the whole SG movement across the country because it's one of the few states which have used SGs and the mobilization of women into federations, not just for economic development like credit and loans, but also for political and social development. So we have Kudumbashri women contesting panchayat elections, winning panchayat elections. Kudumbashri women mobilized collectively to access ration, pension, narega. So those are things that Kerala definitely was one of the first states to take the leap. And now the SG architecture in other states like Jharkhand, Telangana, uh, in other states are learning from that model and diversifying not just from credit to more political and social development through SRGs. So Kudumbashi is a great place to learn from. And in terms of, again, skilling and uh, employment opportunities, I also know Kerala has a state urban employment guarantee program called the Ayan Kali scheme, in which Kudumbashi has a central role of, for implementation as well. Are there any other schemes for employment for women in the country and how do they work? Right. So, I mean, there are plenty of them. It's not just only government programs, but a lot of voluntary organizations, for instance, like SEVA, have also set up their own means of trying to include women in the labor force and uh, provide and ensure uh, dignified working conditions. So there are plenty. In fact, we all we usually also always say that, you know, NREG is like a women's employment program. It's actually a men and women program, but the sheer numbers of women who are a part of NREGA, uh, the fact that NREGA brought women into a formal labor economy, guaranteed equal wages between men and women, guaranteed up to a point a minimum wage in the state, also provided dignity in the workspace by ensuring that worksite facilities are there. So water, shade, a crash because there is an acknowledgement that even in rural areas, there are childbearing mothers who need to work. 
there's a whole uh, ecosystem that has been provided in NREGA to proactively facilitate women to work in the agricultural labor uh, ecosystem formally. Uh, so that NREGA stands out to me as one of the largest women employment initiatives of the state. Apart from that, there are so many, like I said, the non-government funded ones, voluntary organizations, whether it's the Barefoot College, SWRC or SEVA, or um, these are some that are stalwarts, but there are so many like that spread across the country, which is, or Urmul, which is in Rajasthan, which is trying to find employment opportunities for women close to where they live and not just provide that opportunity, not just provide formal entry into the market, but also play a facilitating role that the multiple challenges that women are going to face once they engage in the labor market, how, how can there be constant support provided to them? Could you elaborate on the differences between the urban and the rural labor markets and how that affects the ways in which employment schemes should be designed for them? So the important thing is that it's this recognition that there is the world of a difference between urban workers and rural workers. Many times in articulation, people seem to suggest make an urban NREGM. You can't do that. And NREGA was thought of from the point of view of the needs, requirements and vulnerabilities of rural labor. And the needs, requirements and vulnerabilities of urban labor are very different. Uh, it starts with first, what is urban labor? Who are urban workers? Uh, they're not all of a kind. You have, con you have people who come to urban areas with fixed contract. That's a very small segment of the urban workers. You have some that come on a daily, you know, you call it a daily dehadi basis. You'll see that when you cross through any urban city, you'll see some labor chocks where workers congregate and contractors come and pick them up for the day. So they, their daily employer changes day to day. Then some you have self-employed urban workers, you have domestic workers, street vendors, you know, people who are just hawkers, people selling very important, making food, selling tailors. So that's a segment of urban workers. Then you have aspirational urban migrant workers who have come and traveled and all that. So the urban labor itself is so different. It's not one term that explains all. And different people will need different kinds of support. So an urban employment guarantee or when we conceive of urban labor, we'll have to think of multiple ways in which they can be supported. The issue of domicile for workers in urban areas is a critical question. In rural areas, we see that ordinarily more or less people at least have a place they have to stay in they may not they might not own land but they might have a house they have a proof of residence they have a ration card that shows that they are from here you have a panchayat you have an ecosystem that can verify that yes manohar lal lives here manohar lal's wife is this but in an urban area their whole identity is not always duly authenticated so asking for proof of residence, proof of documentations before any employment guarantee benefits can be provided to them is in itself a huge exclusion. So how do we take on the question of proof of identity, domicile uh, proof for urban workers is a challenge and an answer needs to come out in a way that does not exclude them, that does not make them vulnerable, but it's as inclusive as possible. You mentioned Himachal's and Odisha's state-level employment programs. Could you tell me what are some of the learnings that are visible in these programs? We have seen that many states have introduced these schemes. And 
very little information is in the public domain. We've managed to get through a couple of uh, scheme guidelines and more or less they seem to have a common framework of implementation. We're looking at urban areas where work is of a very limited nature. It's of repair, maintenance of public works. Whereas we feel that in cities and you know every city is not the same it's a bhopal is very different from a biawar you know there's tier one tier two tier three tier four cities so the kind of work that can happen in cities needs a much more wider and creative imagination uh, why can't you know supporting school teachers be a kind of an employment guarantee surveying restoration and upgradation of urban commons like parks um, river paths, rivulets that pass through urban areas, um, forts, monuments in urban areas, all that kind of things. And there's actually a lot of work that's been done by the Center for Sustainable Employment, for instance, has really put its head on, head towards trying to find out what are the possible kinds of works that can happen in an urban area and which an urban employment guarantee must look at. Uh, so for all of those who are listening and to you, I would really push you to see that list of works because it's it's also works that will result in creating a more sustainable environment in which we live. So it's not work just for the sake of work, but it's work that's leading to actually trying to resist the very damaging consequences of climate change that will follow. But none of the state schemes that we have seen so far have indicated the depth and the breadth of work in that nature. It's very limited. None of them are laws. They're all schemes. Uh, which makes the world of a difference. If NREJ was a scheme today, it would not have had the kind of an impact it has today because it's a law. So the people's ability to assert and demand and to access their entitlements gets very limited. None of the state schemes actually have a budget, uh, which is really huge. It's broadly on an average, more or less about 100 crores, whereas a lot more needs to be invested if you're if you're honestly going to try to tackle the problem of employment generation in urban areas, there's a lot that needs to be worked out and a lot that needs to be budgeted for. The role of the urban local bodies is not clear in many of these schemes. So because in, in rural areas, we have gram panchayats that run NREJ, but in an urban area, we don't have governance systems that are they do exist, but they have been ignored and undermined for so long that for them to run employment guarantee schemes, they need to be substantially supported and resourced right now. So there are many of these kinds of uh, limitations. Urban wage rates are not thought through very carefully. What is the, How can migrants who don't have any proof of residence in an urban area, how can they partake in accessing entitlements under the Act is something that state schemes need to think of. The Decentralized Urban Employment and Training, or the DO-IT scheme proposed by economist John Ray, seeks to support urban governance by giving it financial aid in the form of labor. Could you tell us more about the scheme and what you think about this scheme? Right now, Jean, along with so many people who have been concerned about the plight of workers and uh, labor in urban areas, have been trying to think of what are steps that states can take to address this problem. Jaw's suggestion of a do it is a useful one because the urgency is uh, visible to everybody. There is a need for urgent intervention. 
that needs to be made by governments and that is why do it is appealing that it can be something that can be done by state governments under very short time frames a state is opening up post lockdown after a year you have schools you have railway stations anganwadis hospitals that have not been repaired or maintained uh, over such a long period of time and now suddenly we'll have an influx of citizens back so can there be a sort of campaign or can there be a scheme that's run in the state where all these public institutions all the repair restoration maintenance work of these public institutions be completed on a priority basis by workers living in urban areas and each of them be given a stamp for the day of work that they have completed and those stamps be then converted or translated into cash or bank account payments later so the essence is to keep it simple to not weigh down something under a lot of administrative protocol procedure and guideline which for instance an urban employment guarantee law would require but what can be done immediately in the quickest manner possible to help out the most people in need uh, so do it is a means to an end do it is a means towards reaching an urban employment guarantee legislation um but it's something that's very positive very hopeful and we really hope that many states would be able to take a cue on this and the idea is that there are public work departments in every state whose job it is to do this so there is not an absence of funds public work departments have allocated budgets mm -hmm. to do exactly this job so how can those funds be channeled to guarantee to provide employment to urban workers for a very short term basis so that it's not going to require huge huge amounts of additional financial mobilization the employment scheme atmanirbhar bharat rozgar yojana was launched by the government last year it was aimed at incentivizing the creation of new job opportunities during the covid-19 recovery phase could you tell me the eligibility criteria and the government's contribution again it's back to my favorite answer we just do not know what is going on uh, because we don't have data on this a six month campaign that was initiated by government post lockdown and to say that some districts uh, in which the maximum number of migrants have returned to are going to be prioritized in the country and maximum number of uh, jobs will be generated through them that campaign did not even have guidelines all we had was a glossy pdf which was like a concept note we had no clarity on how that's going to be implemented on what basis these districts were selected because up till the last minute government did not even have a clear number on the number of migrants who were returning back home uh, in fact that was one of the reasons they said they could not provide any assistance to the migrants who were walking back home so we don't know the numbers of migrants that were in question where they returned uh, why these districts were chosen what kind of a comprehensive employment package was provided and we've also um, looked at figures in these particular uh, districts and we've seen that a large part of the em employment generated uh, under this campaign apparently was the employment generated through narega uh, which was always implemented in that area so there was nothing new uh, that was initiated also you mentioned that during the lockdown we saw the migrants walk back home from cities could you tell me what can be done to reduce rural migration to urban areas for work you know i i really feel that you cannot reduce rural migration to urban areas 
first of all, that's a fundamental right. People can move wherever they want to move. We follow the Indian constitution. That That is still a fundamental right of citizens that they can go wherever they want to go if they feel that they have better social and economic opportunities elsewhere. So state policy, when governments introduce policies, its focus would have to be two kinds. One is to not, to at least prevent distress migration. People should not have to migrate just to get food or just to send their children to school or just to pay for minimum hospital expenditure. So that is, so what can be done to prevent distress migration is the question where schemes like NREGA have a huge role to play. Uh, what is What are minimum guarantees that can be provided to people in rural areas that they at least can have a, can survive, can sustain over and above what they do is a function of how much they're able to uh, do. And the second thing is, even when there is migration that takes place, what are the kinds of minimum ways in which workers who migrate to urban areas or workers who perhaps migrate to rural areas, I don't know, wherever that they migrate to, how can you ensure that their rights are protected even there? So we have heard so much about One Nation, One Ration Card, uh, but why is it not being implemented? Why can't, and we, we have seen that that's the biggest bottleneck, migrants travel, workers move, and they can't access ration to where they have come to. They still have to, their ration card is connected to the village they've gone to, they are from. So these are systems that need to be developed. How can workers who travel access ration, access healthcare, send their kids to school, wherever they are, get minimum benefits, which are not just said that it's only residents of the state that will get it. We have seen that so much of our whole economy was run by workers who had migrated from different places. They contribute to the cities we live in. All these roads and buildings that we are living in have been built by the sweat and blood of workers who have migrated to the city, but they don't have the same rights to the city that you and I have. So that is the kind of a government intervention that needs to come in. So I don't think the focus is on how do you prevent migration? We can't. Uh, but how do you prevent distress migration? And how do you ensure dignity of work and life to people who decide to migrate? Okay, so to wrap up, I want to get your final thoughts on what steps could be taken by the policymakers and the government to increase the employment opportunities in the rural and in the urban areas in the country. So it's it's not too much of rocket science, I feel. It's NREG is really a very progressive uh, intervention which still has not reached the potential it can. Uh, we say that at least the minimum allocation of NREG should be at least one or two percent of the GDP. And it's if you invest that kind of money into the program, then you can see the kind of potential employment generation that you envisage. But right now we are seeing that the allocations of NREG is still about 0.3, 0.4% of the GDP. And even in NREGA, there's a whole lot of work that can be done about, you know, building a playground for every school, uh, making so many areas of, of a rural area uh, accessible, common pasture development, common lands in urban and rural areas. Uh, so in itself, NREGA itself can be expanded in many creative ways, but funds have to be provided for it. Or I'm not saying that all employment has to be of just NREJ, but opportunities. I mean, if skilling and employment programs are done in a transparent, accountable fashion with clear governance norms, then there is a lot of potential even there. In urban areas, we feel that there must be an urban employment guarantee, which is a basic fallback for workers if they're unable to find work by themselves. 
And the last thing is that there is a huge workforce that is working. They are not uh, devoid of work, but they're working in extremely exploitative conditions. If you have street vendors who are constantly harassed and their radies are uh, displaced, you have people, construction workers who are working but are not registered. You have hawkers who don't have identity and rights over hawking zones or vending zones. So, and domestic workers not having rights. So all of these are employed people, but they are not people who are employed formally, contractually with their rights protected. So how do you protect a whole segment of workers who are already working, but how do you protect them so that they can be formalized and they don't continue to be exploited the way that they do? And we and I feel that there is a huge numbers of such people in this country, and the government should really focus on looking at that segment as well. Please rate our podcast and leave a comment if you like it. Underreported and underrepresented stories can become mainstream only if it reaches more people. So please support us by visiting our contributing page on our website sunoindia.in or follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram.